On this episode of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we have been hearing a lot in recent days about SNC-Lavalin with this scandal or whatever you want to call it in Ottawa. And in Quebec, they are not talking about a scandal. They're not pointing the finger at Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. They're saying SNC-Lavalin is too big to fail. Is any company in this country too big to fail? Marvin Ryder is going to talk about that. We're also going to chat about that girl, that woman who threw the chair off the balcony of the building in Toronto. There's a bunch of psychologists now who are saying, wait, 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 wait. If we talk about her on social media, we could damage her psychologically. So we need to not talk. Do we really need to protect the person who threw a chair and could have killed someone? Or is that a good deterrent when we talk about it on social media? And Todd Crocker, local guy, called his first ever Maple Leafs game on the radio. It's a great story. He joins us to talk about how he got there and how it happened. All coming up. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You, I'm sure, have been following, you have to have heard, been following, been keeping up on what's been going on in Ottawa with this brewing, whatever you want to call it, controversy, scandal, pick your word, doesn't matter probably depending on your party affiliation will determine what word you use. Nonetheless, you understand what's going on right now with the situation where the allegations are that the prime minister or the prime minister's office interfered in a criminal decision with the former attorney general slash justice minister, which then caused her when she didn't do what she apparently allegedly had been asked to do, that they then got rid of her and dumped her down to veterans affairs, which always seems to me to be odd that dumping someone down to Veterans Affairs would be seen as so negative. I would think Veterans Affairs is an important place, but anyway. And this has all now exploded, and there is there are allegations flying around, and there's hearings that may or may not happen, that may or may not have any of the proper witnesses, blah, blah, blah. You know all this stuff, right? I'm just giving you the background. Well, while all this is happening, we're in Ontario. We're catching the Ontario side of things and much of the national side of things. I assure you that out West, this is not playing well. Out East, harder to say, but Quebec is its own little world sometimes. And in this particular case, we are finding that because in much of the Quebec media and much of the Quebec political realm, the question is, well, why wouldn't you do this? SNC-Levelin is one of the bigger employers. It's a massive company. It employs something like 10,000 people in Canada and 50,000 people around the world. Would you not want to protect a company? Even if it did something wrong, you can't let it go down. Here's a Michael Girard, a business columnist for Journal de Montréal, wrote, it's all fine and dandy to play politics in an election year, but what would Canada gain if SNC-Levelin was found guilty? goes on to say the eagerness of the Quebec government and others in the province to see SNC-Lavalin avoid prosecution has raised the question of whether the corporation has become, and here's the key part, too big to fail. Is this company now too big to fail? Let me bring in Marvin Ryder from the DeGroot School of Business. You know Marvin? One of the, what the, the person I always bring on, cause he is the one guy who can explain all this stuff in human terms. Marvin, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, before we get to that question specifically, okay. let us say that SNC-Lavalin was forced to answer fully for all the reportedly reported misdeeds that it has done and paid the price for that by not being able to bid on these government jobs for 10 years that we keep hearing about. Would that guaranteed kill that company? No, not at all. So uh, I'll even just go a little further back, if you don't mind, Scott. SNC-Lavalin was founded in 1911 in Quebec 
It is what's known as a construction and engineering firm. They don't build houses. They don't build condos. They big big honking projects like uh, power electric dams or airports or big bridges that need to be built. And they do that not just here in Canada but around the world. They operate in 50 countries, 50,000 employees worldwide, around 10,000 here in Canada. But they really specialize in building government infrastructure projects. The allegations against them is that in the country of Libya, in North Africa, to win a contract, they bribed some officials, probably to the tune of around $50 million, $48 million. Uh, And when a Canadian company violates our laws, even operating internationally, there should be some sort of uh, an investigation. So there was an investigation. The prosecutors then said, we should take these people to court. And now this becomes the big issue here. If they are taken to court and they are found guilty, not only do they have to pay some penalties, but under Canadian law, they wouldn't be able to bid on any Canadian government contracts for the next decade. Now, they are so diversified in so many countries around the world, this would not cause the company to to fail. But also, the flip side of the coin is, this would take a competitor out. So when I ask you to bid on, say, building a new terminal at Pearson, I need three or four companies to bid to try to get me the best price possible. If we take one of them out of the mix, maybe we're not going to get as efficient government spending. So the allegation is that given all of this, the prime minister went to the justice minister and said, look, why don't we just negotiate a settlement? We'll get them to plead guilty to something. No, they won't be banned for 10 years. They'll pay some fine and we'll just move on and and just keep on going. That's what's been the uh, allegation. Prime Minister says he's never done that. But in Quebec, they say that makes perfect sense to us. Why wouldn't you just settle with this company? Not because it's too big or too big to fail, but because it just, it just doesn't make sense. It's not in anyone's interest if they've done something, which, by the way, is not considered illegal in Libya, but is considered illegal in Canada. Then, you know, why, why are you chasing after them? It's, it's the lesser of the evils. All right, Marvin, let's go to that big question then. Theoretically or practically in this country, is there such a thing as a company that is too big to fail? Short answer is no. I think uh, I tell this to students all the time. No company has an inherent right of survival. No matter what your past performance is, future performance can change. Normally, I would say it's hard to fail on a dime, meaning to overnight go from being a $10 billion company to being bankrupt on the next day. But it can certainly happen over a relatively short period of time, say five years. We saw a company that was even bigger than SNC-Lavalin. Uh, remember, it does $10 billion in sales annually. It was just up the road here in BlackBerry. It did nearly $20, $24 billion in sales. It hasn't died, but it's certainly quite a different company today than it was before. For SNC-Lavalin, what would cause the failure is not, I don't think, pleading guilty to a bribery allegation. Because, frankly, on the world stage, there are still countries in the world where that's actually how you do business. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. But that is a reality. However, what would cause them to fail would be quality issues. If I build a bridge over a river and it collapsed a year later, my gosh, the, the lawsuits, what have you, could bring that company to its knees. And good news here is not really about the quality of their work. It is, however, about their business practice. And I think, again, you know, from a Quebec standpoint, they're saying, well, okay, they did something bad, but just slap them on the wrist. Don't cripple them, at least here in Canada. Let them do work. Certainly in Quebec, there are a couple of big projects looming, the, the big bridge in Montreal that needs desperately to be replaced. They seemed likely to be the company that would win that contract. Let them build that. You know, we understand they got to pay a penalty, but don't don't cripple them. Well, and the argument is being, it's sort of the victim argument that, look, a few bad apples at the top were responsible for this. Why are you going to punish everybody underneath them? 
you know, that, that often is the case. You might remember in the Nortel situation, Nortel is a company that failed. At one time, again, was considered way too big to fail. But it seems to have been a conspiracy at the top. A small number of people got into manipulating the financial statements and the stocks and what have you and, and caused all kinds of problems that did eventually see that company fail. And there are lots of people who used to work for Nortel says that doesn't seem fair to us that this little cabal could do what they did and look at the implications elsewhere. You could make the same argument about our recession in 2007-8. It seems to be a small number of bankers who did some manipulations caused us all to go through a recession. It's not fair, but sometimes that is the reality. But if we were to ever say that a company is too big to fail... By definition, would that not essentially inoculate that company against any wrongdoing so that if it's too big to fail, if we can't let it fail, then it can do whatever it wants. It can break whatever laws it wants. It can do whatever things it wants to do because it, we we couldn't afford to let it go away. So we would just have to suck it up and let it do it. Yeah, I would certainly hope we don't ever come to that time period. Now, a company that's even bigger than SNC-Lavalin is Apple in the United States. Uh, Apple, if you just took its GDP, would be bigger than more than half the countries in the world. And so does it have a right to act like in its own country, set its own rules, operate by its own policies? Gosh, I hope not. Uh, I think you know, if, <laughs> it's at a great point. Point, if at some point they did something wrong, I think they should be prosecuted. Now, I think there is an interesting question. If however you want to prosecute them could kill them, We'd probably want to think strategically about what, whether that makes a lot of sense. But, for instance, uh, Apple has been accused of infringing on patents the same way Samsung has. I think those court cases have to go forward. If there are damages, you know, a, a phone b- blows up and injures somebody and they get millions of dollars in settlement, more power to them. You don't, I don't think you get carte blanche. But in the case of Quebec, they would say that SNC-Lavalin, like Bombardier, are one of a handful of companies, three or four companies, that really do dominate in that landscape, and they view them as strategic assets. They want an aerospace company. They want a company in the engineering space, and therefore, at least in Quebec, I'm not saying they can't do anything wrong. They can do some things that are wrong, but you know, they don't want to do anything that's going to cause that company to die. The great irony, perhaps, of this, if you really want to go down this road, is that if Quebec is the province that is arguing that their company is too big to fail and must be propped up regardless of what behaviors may have happened, there are some folks out in Alberta that might say, uh, just a second, the oil industry that you have fought against pipelines and everything else and have helped to hamstring in a big, big way is three or four times as big as Lavalin. Uh, this doesn't seem like you're sort of the pot calling the kettle black here. Yeah, the only difference there is that it's all in one company with SNC-Lavalin. Correct. It's a whole industry in Alberta, and somehow industries are easier to pick on than an individual company. But I think there is a tremendous irony here, exactly. Uh, and it's Quebec, in particular, that stopped that pipeline that was going to go to the East Coast, didn't want it going through its land. I, I think, again, if I'm in the federal government's role here, and, and just for, again, for a moment, forgive whether Justin Trudeau actually called the minister or not, but if I'm the prime minister, these are the competing interests, and I have to point out, look, I want to help you, Alberta. Look, I want to help you, Quebec, but I need a little something back here in exchange, and, and I think this is the question for them. You can't have it all your own way. Either way, either Alberta or Quebec, we've got to get together in this country. Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. We'll do anytime, Scott. It is, uh, that, that is that is a little bit of an irony that has seemed to slip by a little bit, maybe some of those in Quebec. If you are going to be arguing that your business is essential and nothing can happen to it, regardless of whether or not misdeeds were done, Maybe you should look and say, well, wait a second, we just blocked all of Alberta's oil from going to the East Coast, 
and really screwed them over. Maybe their business is too big to fail too, but we were the ones who may have caused it to fail. It, it, it's, as I say, pots call kettle black a lot of times these days, and this may be one of those. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There have been, as I said a moment ago, there have been a ton of stories going this week. A lot of stuff. Ottawa, Lavalin, snow days, Red Hill Creek Expressway. Oh, you've, if you've been listening to this station with Bill and Scott, they've been doing a terrific job. Uh, it's been thoroughly covered. But the other, well, there may be more, but one of the other big, big, big talking point stories from the last week or so in this area has been Chair Girl. You know who Chair Girl is? I'm assuming you know who Chair Girl is. It's a hashtag now. It's on social media. Hashtag Chair Girl. It's the blonde woman who looks, especially in the first grainy video, suspiciously like the woman from Game of Thrones. But anyway, who chucked a chair from the 45th story of a building in downtown Toronto, down, right near the Air Canada Center. It's on Bremner, which is right in the air, in the, uh, now it's called Scotiabank Arena, but in that Air Canada Center or area, chucked it and almost landed it or did land it on the Gardner. I don't think it landed on the Gardner Expressway, but it landed nearby. Could have gone into a car. That's, that was the initial thought that everybody had is what kind of moron chucks a chair down towards a highway? Have we not seen, have we not all seen at one time or another those pictures or those videos sometimes tragic of something that was dropped off an overpass and hit a car, went through a windshield, whatever else. And someone, so you look at this and you say, who could possibly think this was a good idea? And I think the answer probably is, well, I don't know if we thought through very well, because if anyone had given two seconds of thought to this, you would think they would say, no, that was really not a smart thing to do. Anyway, you, again, you know, the background of this story. So Police put out the pictures, police put out the video. There's a citywide notice for this. The girl is found, the woman, pardon me, she's 19. The woman is found, she's identified, she is charged. And did you see the video? Did you happen to catch the news yesterday of her walking out of the police station after getting charged? Did you happen to see that video? You might want to for what we're going to talk about next. You might want to find online or on the news or something else, the video of her coming out of the Toronto police station after being charged with mischief, which I think is mischief endangering life was one of the things. I mean, you've got a serious charge. Somebody, no exaggeration, not overstating this, somebody could have died. Even if this hadn't landed on the, the highway, on the Gardner Expressway, it could have landed on a person. Think of what... Consider for a moment how this story is if this lands on a mother pushing a stroller along the sidewalk or a, or a person, a man walking along there or a cyclist or a car or whatever. Anyway, if you didn't see the video, she's coming out of, of the Toronto police station, dozens of media around, cameras everywhere, flashing, videoing, reporters, everything. And she looks like she is having the time of her life. Big smile. She's got her makeup done. Her hair is done. Blonde hair. I mean, this is, this does not look like someone who just got charged with endangering people's lives. This looks like someone who's coming out of her publisher or producer's office after being nominated for a Grammy award. This is a person who appears to be 
And I, you know, maybe not, maybe she's putting on an act, but on appearance, when you look at her and go ahead and do it, you go ahead and check the video and tell me if I'm wrong. Looks like she is having the time of her life. The attention that she is getting is fuel. It is food for her soul. It appears to be. So why do I bring all this up again? And by the way, you'll notice I have not mentioned her name because I refuse to give her any more attention that way. You, I mean, if you want to go look up her name, her name is, her name is online. But considering the impression that is given that this is just something she is having a great old time with, I'm refusing to mention her name again. So why are we mentioning all this? Well, today, via the Toronto Star, there are a number of psychologists expressing their deep, deep concern that this poor woman, this poor woman who is now in the eye of the storm, is being shamed on social media to a degree that will have long-term, long-lasting, detrimental, psychologically debilitating effects on her life. This nationwide, province-wide, city-wide, whatever, this online shaming that is being done because people are calling her names and saying she's an idiot and using the hashtag chair girl and pointing out that she did something incredibly stupid, which by the way, by the way, because you know, everyone says innocent until proven guilty. And that is true. Her lawyer said, Oh no, it was her who threw it. All right. We're we're not, there's no question about what happened here? There's no question that she was the one. I mean, it's on video. It's hard unless you've got a really good video person who can change it up. It was her. But the reason she did it was peer pressure. Yes, someone forced her or somehow talked her into it. But it was her. But these psychologists are now saying, all these people, all these people online who are saying nasty things about her, like what I just said about how she could have killed someone and she might be a bit of an idiot and she did something really stupid and she maybe should have thought this through. And the fact that she now looks to be enjoying herself so completely, well, this is going, this has the potential, this has incredible potential to really, really destroy her. This shaming, get ready ready for this. This shaming is akin to, to the old days when you would put someone in the stocks in the village square and leave them there to be shamed in front of the local folk. And we can't do this. We are a better society than this. We are people who are supposed to know better because we can't let this poor misguided young lady suffer the slings and arrows of social media like this. Really? Really? We're rising now to the defense of this person and showing great concern for her mental health through social media. Really? This is, we need more of this, not less of this. If you have people who are doing stupid stuff like this, we need more. And one other thing to consider, we've got psychologists now worried about the effect of social media on this woman. She was the one who put it on social media. How do you think we even found out about this? Because she or her friend, the person who was there, decided, I'm going to upload this to social media. Charles, how are you tonight? Uh, Great, thank you. Great. What do you think about this? Uh, I am not sure where you're coming from. 
as a radio host, I'm really concerned that you're blowing this way out of proportion. That 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 making her into a victim is a wrong thing. No, no, not into a victim. Uh, this is a troubled young lady that needs some assistance, and you are like painting her with a a really uh, bad color of paint. Well, I, I disagree. I think that if we would never have found out about this, we would never have caught her had it not been for social media, right? That would have never happened. And would your story be the same if this chair had landed on someone down at the bottom of the building? Would you have then said, well, it's just a troubled young lady. Let's just, we can't get too serious about this. Uh, the problem is it didn't land on anybody and you were so venomous on your channel about how you are portraying this young lady rather than saying, look, let's look at where she needs some help. Charles, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, Look, uh, to Charles' point that it didn't land on someone, that was not because of her good aim. She was exceedingly fortunate this didn't land on someone. It's not like she targeted an empty spot on the sidewalk. I think Charles is falling into the same problem that these psychologists are. We're turning her into a victim rather than the perpetrator of something bad. Frank, how are you tonight? I'm quite well, thanks. Uh, all I want to say, Scott, is I hate when this stuff goes on social media and it's a big adver- advertisement. And if I could say this, all the gooks out there, just like the shooters, they they take this thing and they, they heat it and they, ah, oh, then that. They, I just don't like the fact that it's openly advertised. And there's nothing we can do about it because somebody just puts it on, on uh, public media, like you say. But there should be some restraints on anything that goes on there so easily to advertise such a, a ridiculous, a, a, a cruel event. And then stand behind her and, and, and uh, say that she's, there's something wrong with her right from the outset. Uh, it, it disturbs me, um, Scott, that we are at, these things are advertised for, the, for those minds out there, as few as there are, we hope, that are deviant in nature, and they're going to play these kind of things. And uh, I don't think anybody should get behind her and defend her until she gets to the courts. Frank, I appreciate the call. Got to run. Got to get to John. John, I only have 15 seconds. What do you got? Scott, this is a a good example of the YouTube generation where we have people that are so inconsiderate that they're going to put other people's lives in jeopardy just for 15 seconds of fame. So what the justice system has to do is make an example of this young lady and set the tone to prevent other people to do such stupid things. John, I appreciate your call. i got to run. Thank you so much for calling. Look, I I agree. we got to run to a break. How this woman is now a victim and we should be concerned for her psychology? I don't know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I hope many of you heard the story, read the story in the paper today, but heard the story of Todd Crocker. He's down in Vegas tonight uh, to do the Leaf game. He's going to be calling the Leaf game on the radio. But he has a great story because Todd Crocker has spent years working in broadcasting and finally got his chance, Hamilton guy, got his chance to break in with the Leafs the other night. Uh, he joins us now. Todd, how are you tonight? How was Celine Dion? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I got to tell you, this is the most distracting city in the entire world, I think. There is, uh, if, if you're trying to focus on just one thing, like, say, I don't know, NHL game. <laughs> Uh, the amount of things that are happening around you are incredible. And uh, you're all oh, your head is on a swivel the whole time. The light's going off here. Somebody walks by you that's famous there. And, and it's just, uh, it's absolutely terrific in one sense and, and absolutely crazy in another. The story, and the reason I wanted to have you on, because it is a terrific story. Uh, you are a guy who, you grew up in Hamilton, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. West Bend, yeah. West Bend. I think you went. Did you not go to school right across the street from where I'm sitting right now? You went to Westdale? I did. I went to Westdale, and uh, they saw fit to uh, move me along uh, as well, I think, uh, in my uh, extra year. And that time it was not considered an extra year. It was considered. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> just know. special treatment for Todd. Was not a positive thing. No. But had you always was the goal always even back when you were in high school was the goal always to be a broadcaster to be doing play by play of hockey? Uh, you know that's a that's a funny thing because I I sometimes answer that I, people ask me that and I'll, I'll say no I don't think so but then people will remind me I went to school at you did the morning announcements all you know all the time you you were you know involved in in so much uh, stuff that way and then course always involved in sports and things like that but you know i didn't start out thinking that i uh i started out thinking i was going to go and, into radio and become the next dr johnny fever i was you know i just loved music and thought it was great and i was probably even in my uh radio class the the guy who was probably least likely to be in this situation there were lots of guys who were so sports focused uh, and and I certainly appreciate it and loved it and and you know all those things and, and but you know I I would say those guys were just over the moon about it and uh, and but as it moved along in in life uh, it just it, sports became the focus of everything so uh, I got a chance uh, to uh, you know call play by play with the Ontario Raiders my great thanks to. Uh, my friend Don Edwards, who uh, who got me that uh, that job, and and it was the start of uh, that was the start of everything for me. I uh, I fell in love with it, you know, the ad lib, the live of it. Uh, I just fell in love with it, and then from that moment forward, I just kept thinking to myself, uh, I I got to find a way somehow to just keep doing this, no matter what. You. Uh, two nights ago, I guess you you finally got to do your first ever Maple Leaf game, which is why we're doing this. Had that been all along the way? Had that been the thought that eventually you're going to do NHL, you're going to get to the big time, that that's going to be the life, or or had that been something that you never really considered? Well, I, I tell you, my first year with the uh, Bulldogs, uh, and uh, you know, and Brian Lewis hired me there. Uh, you know, it was. A, a great learning curve and uh, learned a ton from Walt Kyle at the time and Maury Gare, the coaches and, and uh, really soaked it all up. And, and, and I thought at that point, you know, I was, I don't know, I, I was 30, I guess, and, and they're 31 or somewhere in there. And I just thought, Oh, oh yeah, you know, this is how it goes. You spend a couple of years in the American league and then somebody comes calling and uh, you know, that's just not how it works. You know, you've got, uh, 30, essentially 30 radio jobs uh, in the uh, National Hockey League. Then it was less, but um, and, and you know the guys get those jobs and they because they've worked hard at them and they become legends. Uh, yeah, like they don't the leave easily. Calls, no, and like the guy who calls Leafs games, you know, like Joe Bowen is a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. He's not going anywhere here, and and. You know, just to you know, put people's minds at ease that way. That uh, you know, Joe, Joe has just got laryngitis here. It's a bad case, but you know, he'll be back next week, and that'll be that. Uh, and and that's just fine by me. I I just uh, uh, I, I just at that point I thought it was going to be simple, and it, it never turned out to be the case because lots of things have to happen for that kind of thing to happen, and and it just didn't. And then at a certain point, you just. You know, I, I used to say when I was doing games, uh, Brent Rick and Rob Newhouser had me doing games on 
on uh, cable 14, and and uh, I I said, uh, you know, uh, like some guys go out and they play hockey Saturday night and go out for beers afterwards. I go out and call hockey on Saturday night and go out for beers afterwards with with Norm Miller at the time. So it was, uh, uh, you know, that was just how I had framed it in my mind. And and then when uh, they called to uh, have me come in and and do the Marlies, it it was only supposed to be for a year because uh, John Abbott was going to go up and he was going to call half the games that Joe was doing on TV. Uh, But they knew that that deal was coming to a close and Joe would come back full-time on radio and then John would come back to the Marlies and that would be it. And So they just needed a guy to fill in. I said, yeah, sure, what the heck. Uh, I'd love to do that for a year uh, just to find out, you know, what it's like. And I really missed the journey of being with a hockey team. I had a fabulous year. I just enjoyed it. It was an incredible year. And uh, and it has never stopped being an incredible year. And that was six years ago. Yeah, and John went up to, uh, went to Vancouver uh, John Abbott went to Vancouver, and they said, "Look, John's going to Vancouver. We want you to stay here." And and I, I it took me all of about three seconds. I was, yeah, absolutely. This is it. It just is being so good year after year after year, and it and it just has gotten uh, gotten to a, a point where uh, I just can't imagine. I mean, the Marlies are such a tremendous place to work. The people are absolutely. Top level, like, and I don't just mean on a on a professional level. They are that, but they're just they're just good people. You know, so let's, Kyle Dubas, the general manager. Well, I'm going to get to Kyle in a second, but let's just jump into this because you you so you do the Bulldogs, you do a bunch of other stuff on Cable 14 around here. You do six years with the Marlies. You've now been doing minor league stuff basically for 20 years. Probably have decided that this is your spot that this is your lot so on monday i uh, know yeah. tuesday tuesday night you're in boston to do a marley's game you've flown down there what happens tuesday morning uh yeah i get a call from brad lynn and brad was with the marley's for years and years and years as their uh uh he was the you know hockey ops guy so uh so he's the guy who made sure the team got everywhere and so brad and i became good friends and and uh and and brad called uh, sent a text to me said oh you know Get your stuff together. I got you on a plane coming at one o'clock, and I thought, oh, that's just a nice, hopeful text from from Brad. He's hoping my career takes off, and I really, he's been a great supporter, and I and I appreciate it greatly. But I, I just thought, thanks, Brad. That's nice of you to say, you know. And then he called me. And he said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I'm just getting ready here. It's eleven thirty. I'm going to go over to practice. And he said, No, 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 no. You, you can't get on the bus and go to Hartford. Uh, you, you're gonna get. You're gonna go to the airport, and you got to get on a plane at one o'clock. Well, what? Like, I got to get to Logan Airport, one of the busiest airports <laughs> in the world, and I got to find this plane. The gate. I don't even have my. I don't have a ticket. I don't have anything. But Brad makes the magic happen. I I get there. They're calling boarding group number four. I am boarding group number four, and it's like. I I hope I'm getting like there's probably 15 to 20 percent of me thinking I don't know if I got on the right plane here. I'm <laughs> really hoping that this this worked out. I I'm uh, so I get on that plane and I'm off and I'm flying. Uh, you know, and you're just kind of like okay, okay, and and you're going through rocky weather, you know, because the, that winter storm's coming through, and and so you know the plane is just pitching and rolling, and you're just like. Yes, uh, you know, aware of just the ironic history this might present. And I'm just like, just get us on the ground here. I get on the ground in Chicago. Chicago, strangely enough, another rather large airport. I come out and I say to the gate agent, do you know where my, the 
this flight would be? Oh, that's in the other terminal. And it's and it's in this. She says it's like, I don't know. If you you better hurry. I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks for the drama. And off I go. And I get through, and I you know I don't know Chicago O'Hare Airport. I don't work there, so I'm just like you know following signs. She, there's a big dinosaur. She says, "Turn left at the dinosaur." I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah." <laughs> I go down and follow that, and I go down and under, and I get I get to the other side, and and I am the guy. You see, if you anybody has ever flown, they know this guy. The guy who comes on the plane, he's a whirling dervish. He's just all over the place, and he's the last guy to get on the airplane. And everybody's like, "Bud, sit down. Let's go." <laughs> I'm that guy today, you know, or that day. I just, I'm like, ah. What is seat thirty seven C with and I go gets I get there sitting in the middle seat. Of course. <laughs> and you're a tall guy, of course. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh I get on that one uh, and and I'm just I, I am in a dead on flop sweat here. I'm just like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I I got on this flight, it worked out, it's so good. And uh and off we go. Again, not a very calm flight, but we get uh, the wheels down on the ground in uh, in Denver. And I, you know, I don't know. I think the airport in Denver is, uh, you know, how far could it be from the city? Um, it's it's like 30, 40 minutes, and it's rush hour. And, and the game's <laughs> starting in an hour. Oh, yeah, that's, and that's the other part. The game is just, you know, uh, and people are texting me, where are you? Where are you now? How's what's happening? What's the <laughs> try my best to answer i'm in a hoodie and jeans at this point i get, i'm like i can't show up to my first nhl game in a hoodie and jeans i'm pulling through my suitcase gary the driver is just like uh yeah you can go ahead and change i guess i mean like <laughs> the windows are kind of tinted i'm like ah, don't matter i'm like yeah get the shirt on get the tie on i'm trying to tie a tie and I'm, you know, my hands are just like, come on, come on, come on, go, just figure it out. And I finally, you know, zip up the tie and I get it going and and, uh, and out the door we go, uh, or I, we get there. And, you know, you got to love efficient people. Gary gets me there. Brad is waiting at, at the other end. Gary stops to talk to the parking attendant guy just to figure out where he's going. But Brad has texted me. I'm like, I'm like 50 yards away from where this is. And I can see everything, and I just I'm like uh, uh, Gary. We're and, and Gary's like, he so do you know where this place is? That this is, and I'm, I'm like, oh Gary, uh, yeah, it's just like fifty. Um, mm-hmm. The, the Canadian in me just won't interrupt him while he's having a conversation. <laughs> with the parking guy. I'm like, ah, okay. Anyway, out out I get fifty yards down the road. Brad's there. He's just grinning ear to ear. So I start grinning ear to ear. I'm just like, I am emotional all day on and off on this thing. I'm just like, uh, I called my wife at, at one point and I'm like, I, I, I left her a message. Thank goodness I didn't talk to her because I just, I, I, I couldn't even get out the words in the message. It was like, uh, going up. <laughs> that was my, that was my message. I'm like, Oh, okay, great. So, uh, I get in. You know, like two minutes before the warm up starts, and uh, and I was and, and I just looked over at Jim Ralph, and and uh, and Ralphie is just one of the funniest guys you're ever going to meet, and uh, he just is like, he just goes, "Don't worry, bud, lots of time." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, 
Oh, okay. No, so, no, so, no you're, so, Todd, you're about to do your first ever NHL game. You've waited for this all your life, whether you thought it was going to happen or not. There's a problem, though, I think, because you told me before there was no Wi-Fi, no game notes. So y- you know most of the Leaf players because a lot of them have come through the Marlies. You've covered them over the years. That's not a big deal. How do you, you wouldn't know most of the Colorado players or know their numbers. How do you deal with that? Uh, you know, there was, I think maybe there was a lot of Colorado up the right side, you know, <laughs> Colorado across <laughs> the line, uh, kind of things, you know, uh, actually, you know, the funny thing about it is, um, over the years of doing it, you, you can drop into a game pretty quickly and there are little tricks that you come up with that you just figure out, you know, that you just say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use this to spot that guy's part of his name, part of, you know, and, and you're, you're doing it, you don't even realize you're doing it. And, and one of the only reasons I can, you know, talk about it is so fresh in my mind is that uh, when I got in, I thought, wow, I'm not sure how I, I knew how to do that. And it's just, you know, repetition, uh, re- repetitive behavior. Uh, well, and thankfully, Colorado doesn't have a lineup filled with confusing names or tongue-twisting names. They're all per- they're reasonably yeah. simple. Don't have to practice yeah. too much. W- would that be something no normally, Todd? Like uh, doing play-by-play, most people wouldn't know this. Like is your day before a game spent looking at the other team's lineup so you memorize the numbers so that it comes easily? Like how do you do that? How do you prepare normally? Uh I don't think it's looking at a lineup and, and memorizing numbers. I, I think some guys do that. I don't. I, I don't necessarily do that. Um, I, I'm a guy. I know there's lots of guys who have big charts in front of them and and take copious amounts of notes and put those in front of them. But I'm I'm a little old school on the on the play by play. Now in the American League, when you're out on the road, you got to do everything by yourself. You don't have a color guy, but. Um, you know, when, when we're at home, Bob McGill's my, my color guy with the Marlies. And, and so he, you know, I, I let the color guy be the color guy. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm the play-by-play guy. My reward is I get to say he shoots, he scores, and, and, and get to have the, you know, the, the, my voice on the highlight, uh, and, and that's my reward. The color guy's reward is he knows things. And so I'm not going to jump all over their toes. That's that's an old. I recognize that that's a kind of an old school uh, style of thinking and, and a style of delivering because it's more of a give and share and take and everybody does you know whatever. But uh, I'm just not that guy. I, I just I, I just prefer to you know stay in my lane. So I, what I do is I go over all that information so that I can easily hand it to a color guy um, and you know make the transition of information uh, easier. So, but if I don't know it. If I haven't read it, if I haven't, you know, kind of digested it, um, then uh, there's no note in front of me that I'm going to search for that is going to help me find it. I need to, I need to have processed it in my mind, and then I need to, you know, deliver it and entertain it, uh, and it, it, and that way I just feel that the game flows better uh, emotionally. More how than anything else? How do NHL press boxes compare to AHL press boxes? Well, and this is the funny thing, Scott. So. In the AHL, first of all, you know, there's places like, uh, and not to, not to, you know, shine a light on Syracuse, but their, their press box is, is a, a, a catwalk, a walkway, you know, utility passage. And, and it's, it's got charm, but it's also got some frustrations attached to it because <laughs> it's about a six foot roof. And as you mentioned before, I'm six foot four. So 
I've cranked my head there a couple of times. Uh, but in the in the NHL, so in the NHL, you take your equipment everywhere with you. You know, you, you plug it in, you set it up, and you connect to the uh, what you need to connect to, and you make sure the sound levels are all okay. And so the other night, uh, I get to Denver, and I dude, call the game. I'm like, wow, this stuff, stuff all set up right here. Like, I, I didn't have – so somebody – at the end of the game, I'm like, okay, well – I say to the guy, Jesse, I said, uh, uh, do I pack this up, Jesse? Do we, where, where are we going with this? And he's like, what? And I said, well, do I, do I now take this or, or do you, or do you travel with us? And he's like, I work for, I work for Colorado. And I'm like, you, so this stuff stays here. <laughs> it's like, it, it didn't even occur to me. Like, I don't know. It's just having one of those moments, you know, where it was like, well, I got to get the gear. I got to go. I got to get on the bus. I'm like, you know, let's let's step it up, Jesse. We just can't hang around and and have you know, headphones hanging around and a mixing board. So we got to pack this stuff up. Get on. Well, it's just like, oh, right, of course. Well, you obviously you obviously did well. Uh, Kyle Dubas, you mentioned him right off the top, the general manager of the Leafs. He tweeted out afterwards, this was his quote, always smiling and always positive, perhaps the most passionate and humble person I've ever had the fortune of working alongside and riding the Toronto Marlies bus with. Great to hear Hockey Croc, that's you, uh, made his NHL debut tonight in Denver. Very well earned, Todd. That's got to be nice when, when you hear that kind of thing. Well, and it's funny because uh, Kyle, of course, was uh, the assistant general manager of the Leafs, but the general manager of the Marlies, uh, and so he was often on the bus and 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 often right beside me. Uh, and so we've had a great many discussions, great many laughs, and and it's funny because uh, just after that got tweeted out, and I stayed off social media, Scott. I got to tell you because I just had this feeling that there was going to be this. You're not Joe Bowen. <laughs> and I'm like, I know I'm not Joe Bowen. But uh, so I didn't really want to get into it and read it and go through all that stuff. I just felt like it was terrible. But somebody said, Hey, th- did you see the general manager? Somebody who didn't know that I know Kyle in, in uh, you know, from being on the bus in the American League and, and know him well and would count him as a friend. It said, The general manager of the Maple Leafs sent out a, a tweet. Boy, did he ever have nice things to say about you. And just for a few seconds, I'm like, really? Wow. That's nice. Gen- like, like, I love Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, like who's the general manager of the Maple Leafs? He's, you know, for me, he's just Kyle. And, and it didn't really compute. It's not like Mike Babcock where somebody say hey, the coach of the Leafs. I'd be like, wow. Oh my goodness. But for me, that was a very personal message. Um, and it didn't come from the, general manager of the Maple Leafs, it came from Kyle, and I just, well. That's uh, cool. I got one minute left. I got a lot of stuff I want to ask you very quickly. Quick bullet point things here. Uh, you were packed for, you were supposed to come home Saturday from the Marley's trip that you were on. Uh, you're now going to be till yes. Tuesday. That means you have a lot less clothes. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, uh, I, I, I am currently working on an hour-to-hour basis. I think <laughs> I, I have zero. I have zero clue as to. Uh, I know that how I organize my suitcase. I can see that I am getting down here in in clothes. The underwear will I'm, be inside out for game three. Yeah, that's right. Four <laughs> wears inside out, back and front. Did you keep anything from your first game? Well, that, that, that's the funny thing. I didn't. I don't usually collect things. Um, you know, it's just, it just not something I do, but uh, they uh, got me a puck from the game, 
Garrett Sparks thought to do that, uh, and I appreciated that from Sparksy. And uh, and then uh, Doctor Foreman, who's least doctor, came over. and says, "I got this puck for you." And I'm like, "Wow, that's nice." Somebody thought that. Well, it's it's like one of those pucks that you see when somebody scores an important with goal the tape around it. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, "Oh, wow, that's neat." I like that is. A, and then I got the game sheet. Uh, that's that good. They, yeah, uh, that's good. They, Steve Keel got me the game sheet. The Marley's or the Maple Leafs PR guy. So. Well, yeah, it's, I, it's it, it has not caught up to me yet. Really, I'm still just working on, uh, you know, just getting through the hour. It is a terrific story. I'm thrilled for you. Uh, Todd will be doing the game tonight from Vegas. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. It's on a competing station, but it's Fan 590. If you want to go listen to Todd do some of the game, <laughs> uh, I'll probably get fired for saying that. But anyway, uh, and then Saturday night, Saturday night, you get to do a game Saturday night for uh, the in Phoenix, and then Tuesday night in St. Louis, and then. You, then you can pray that Joe Bowen's laryngitis stays around for another week or two, and you can. But otherwise, you'll be coming home. But uh, listen, Todd Crocker, congratulations, great job, Hamilton guy. Um, and by the way, the guy that did the game right before you was Paul Hendricks, former CHCH. So it's all Hamilton on the air these days. We're proud all of you. Thanks Hamilton, for doing this. Yeah, Enjoy I'm the time. Thanks for doing God. this, Todd. All right. Take, Take care. care. That is uh, Todd Crocker. Great story. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.